0: Hey everybody, welcome to Cornerstone Fellowship Church Online. This is a great day for you to join with us today because we're actually beginning a brand new series that could potentially change the entire way that we view our communities. The communities that are right there in our neighborhoods and the communities far beyond. Pastor Steve Engel will be walking us through part one of the Art of Neighboring series in just a few moments. And by the way, my name is Taylor and I just want you to know that I am so glad that you are here with us today. You know, I I actually prayed for each of you, praying that you will know that you are known, that you are loved and that you are seen. And so I also want you to make sure that you shout your name out in the chat because we want to process with you as we go through this series. And so we're first going to begin with some amazing worship. And don't forget to sing along with us in your homes. And yeah, welcome to Cornerstone. Such an awesome guy. so
1: We have such an awesome God and that word, that truth is for today and for tomorrow and for every day thereafter, that God is good. Our voice is enough to declare that truth. Our voice is enough to sing, you are good, God, you are such an awesome God, God, you are faithful, God, you are selfless, God, you are generous, God, you are love. All it needs is your voice to declare those very things. It got me to thinking of being in church with you guys and worshiping with you all and how I miss worshiping with you guys so much. There's always this special moment when there's a collective voice singing together such a powerful truth. God, you are good. You know, that moment when the band drops out and it's just the voices singing in the room. And you just picture throughout our campuses, that truth just filling that room. God, you are good. God, you are such an awesome God. And so at some point in time, we'll be back together soon. But until then, I need you guys to take me up on this and worship from home and lift your voices to God today and tomorrow. And don't just wait for the weekends, don't just wait for the Saturday and Sunday to worship with our teams, but do it every day. And may it be a testimony. May it be our testimony to sing of God's goodness so that the people around us can see that too. That the people around us can see God's faithfulness and hope and love and selflessness and generosity through us. May our lives be a testimony of his goodness. Our voices are enough to sing and declare that truth.
2: May my testify your goodness. May my eyes be watching for your movement. May my life testify your goodness. May my eyes be Let me love like you do, Jesus Let me give like you do, Jesus Uproot my selfishness To sow in your service, Jesus Let me love like you do, Jesus Let me give like you do, Jesus Uproot my selfishness, to sow in your service. Such an awesome God, so mighty, so holy, so wonderful, such an awesome you are faithful to me
1: amen jesus we love you you are worthy of every breath every song we give all the glory to you lord in your name we pray amen
3: hey church welcome to cornerstone fellowship we're so glad that you can join us for church online Our mission as a church is to help people take their next step with Jesus. And uh, that's what we're doing today. And uh, Steve, welcome, thanks for joining me.
4: Glad to be here.
3: Um, I have nowhere else to be. (laughs) So uh, one of the things that we were strategizing about was five, nine, and 11, which is our three service times, aren't the best times for everyone. And so we're actually opening up to have more services and to make on-demand more available. Tell us a little bit more about that.
4: Well, you can see those here on the screen. And this is when the services uh, we'll be open with the chat rooms and all that where you can join us. But also after the five o'clock service on Saturday night, On Demand opens up and you can watch the service whenever your group gathers. And so many groups are gathering now yeah. in backyards and and different locations, even on the Cornerstone campuses, on the patios and mm-hmm. on the lawn in Brentwood, where they're just sitting around and they're watching the service together. And there's something about being with other Christians while you participate in the service. So you're saying that even
3: though our buildings are closed, we can still gather together and experience Christian fellowship and community, like right now?
4: Right now, and we should. Uh, Loneliness is a huge uh, part of COVID, and uh, churches can come against that by saying, hey, let's, let's get together and participate in the service. There's seven of us. Let's be a church of seven, and come together before, have some fellowship, stick around afterwards, but Let's watch it together and discuss what we're learning and pray together. It's just a great thing. And uh, so, and also what I'm really encouraged about is the giving. You have remained faithful this year. And that's incredible. Uh, It really says that you're really, you're in with what we're doing, you're in with our mission, especially as we're reaching out to people less fortunate that have been affected by COVID-19. Thank you so much for giving us the resources every week that, that, that we're able to share and uh, for keeping us moving forward with that vision. So please stay faithful. Yeah.
3: Well we're launching a new series called The Art of Neighboring this week and I'm really excited about this four-week series. We're going to be taking a look at Uh, four New Testament Bible stories, and we're gonna be unpacking these stories, and we're gonna be applying them to our lives as it relates to our mission and vision as a church in the East Bay. A few years ago, we laid out a vision for having a cornerstone campus uh, or or influence within each neighborhood of the East Bay, and we launched a few more campuses, and we have five total, Uh, but we see God taking that vision even further than we thought he could, and watch parties is a part of it, But what we're going to be talking about is how we could be neighbors within our neighborhood and really set up these home bases of ministry um, out of your homes that connect with every neighborhood in the east bay where we have these mission stations these bases that aren't even campuses we pay for but are but are your homes and uh, the new testament really leads us into this way of ministry and this what's really cool about this way of ministry it's not dependent on our five buildings and so with everything going on in the world and our inability to gather there's nothing stopping the mission and vision of our church from moving forward and impacting our neighbors in amazing ways and so i'm excited for this series um, to learn from the new testament but also to apply it to our lives as we reach deeper into the east bay um, and love people really well the way jesus commanded us to do so we're going to kick it off with pastor steve ingold who has our first
5: sermon in this series. Who are your neighbors? You know, I think for most of us, the very first place our mind goes to when we hear that question is the people who live next to us. I mean, a lot of us start to picture the street, block, or neighborhood we live in. Like, if this wasn't a sermon or teaching at a church, and I just ran into you somewhere and asked you, who are your neighbors, I'm guessing your mind would go to your actual neighbors. But if we were to sit and process for a little bit, and because this is a sermon, Many of us would probably begin to think about our faith and scripture and the most important commandment Jesus gave us. Our thoughts would then shift to think of neighbors as everyone. But let's not jump there quite yet. Who are your neighbors? And for me, I immediately think about the two houses directly next to me. To be honest, those are the only people I even know on my street. Uh, we live in downtown Livermore, and if you know the area, then you know that there's a Catholic church right nearby. And it was actually playing um, "How Great Thou Art" over the church bells as I studied for this message, which was, which was cool. But but living downtown creates some interesting situations. And the other night, we had someone ring our doorbell and violently knock on our door at 1:30 in the morning. Amanda and I woke up. Right away, uh, she grabbed an old golf club, and I grabbed my pocket knife so that we could defend our home, which if we're thinking through this whole thing logically, my wife doesn't know how to swing a golf club with any force. Like Anytime we go to the driving range, she just struggles, and, and my pocket knife, which is about this big, would at best aggravate an intruder. Like We would make whoever broke into our house angry. That's, that's all we would do. Um turns out the guy's car died who was knocking on our door and and he was going from house to house looking for help including our neighbors to the right. Amanda texted them and asked if they were okay and and that's pretty much the extent of our relationship with them. Occasionally checking up on each other. Our neighbors to the left moved in about 2 years ago and I've talked to them twice. She's a massage therapist and I think I think he works at a car de- dealership. And they have really loud dogs. So that's what I know about them. Now, throughout our 13 years of marriage, actually Tuesday's our 13th wedding anniversary, happy anniversary, babe. Um, but throughout our 13 years, Amanda and I have consistently said, and I'm confessing this to you today, we are not good neighbors. You know, Maybe our neighbors think we're actually pretty incredible, though. I, I mean, we don't, we don't get to know them at all. We don't go out of our way to talk to them or, or interrupt their day. Sure, we offer help when it's needed and check to make sure people are okay when when out of the ordinary things happen like people knocking on your door at 1.30 in the morning. But we don't go the extra mile to care for or simply build relationship with people who live nearby, which is actually the expectation in our culture today. So maybe our neighbors love that, like you do your thing and I'll do my thing and we'll just let each other be. And I can give you all the excuses for why I haven't really connected with the people I live next to. That's the cultural norm. Um, I'm a pastor, so that means I work with people all day long, and I don't want to work with more people when I get home. And maybe you can relate with some of these excuses. Uh, I'm tired, I need a safe, spa- uh, safe space. Um, they don't view life the same way I do, they obviously don't want to get to know me. I'm afraid they'll see me as nosy. Reaching out can be uncomfortable. Isolation is easier. Their dogs are loud and annoying, and so on. But the conviction I'm experiencing right now, the thing that I've been wrestling to reconcile, is how can I teach and implore others to take the great commandment seriously, to love God by loving everyone we come in contact with? If I'm not even doing that on my own street, regardless of current cultural norms. I wonder if we have turned the great commandment into a catchy saying or slogan, something tweetable that looks and sounds good, but not a practical plan Jesus himself gave us. What if, when Jesus said, love your neighbors, that he also meant our actual neighbors? The first people you think about when someone asks you, who are your neighbors? And today we're going to dig into the passage that is always brought up when it comes to the concept of neighbor or neighboring. I've taught this passage a few times before. We've studied it as a church and we've unpacked it really well. Um, Throughout this passage, Jesus makes it very clear in this teaching that we love God by loving our neighbor Paul echoes this in Galatians chapter five verse 14. "For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command: Love your neighbor as yourself. But we're going to take a little bit of a different approach compared to what we've done in the past. You know typically, when we process this passage together, we we come to the conclusion, and, and rightfully so from an exegetical standpoint, that Jesus defines neighbor in a manner that includes everyone. Every person, everywhere, every time, in every situation. And everything rests on this. But if we're to love our neighbor as ourself, then this story, it prompts us to meet needs, pay the cost, and go out of our way for others. But, what if by insisting that we are neighbors with everyone. We oftentimes end up being neighbors to no one. That when we aim for everything, we hit nothing. And it reminds me of the instruction my dad used to give me when it came to shooting a basketball. He'd say, aim small, miss small. To not just aim at the entire hoop, but rather at a specific point on the rim. In our quest to love our neighbors, if we aim small, we'll miss small. We won't feel overwhelmed by the task that Jesus calls us to. We won't look for an out or try to find loopholes like one individual did that led to one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told. Go ahead and turn your Bibles or Bible apps to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25 for our study today. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you get to John, Acts, you've gone too far. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Here's what what Luke writes. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds like he often did with another question says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Like, like you're a lawyer. You, you, you know the law, so you, you tell me. And I imagine the lawyer got a bit excited because he gets to show off how smart he is. And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So so then Jesus responds, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's not miss the motivation behind this question. Our reading of the Old Testament shows us that love of God was demonstrated through obedience to his commands. That's the way it was for first century Jews. So a question like this comes across like, hey, what do I really have to do? Or in other words, what's what's the minimum amount that I have to do to get eternal life? Remember, that was his original question. What must I do? How can I get in? And he does this by trying to figure out, okay, Jesus, who really qualifies? In your opinion, who really qualifies as neighbor? This question launches Jesus into the story of the good Samaritan, which we'll we'll touch on in a minute. But I want to focus our attention here for a little bit because what we have to understand about this question and Jewish culture and why Jesus ends up answering this question to include all people the way he does is because Jewish culture had an understanding that in order to follow God's law, you needed to love your literal neighbor. Leviticus 19 verse 18 reads, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. This law is saying to not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. And that phrase, among your people, is some important context we have to grab onto. The law clearly stated that the people who are like you, who are like you, that that you live with and live by, are to be loved as you love yourself. So as Jesus launches into this story that expands the definition of neighbor, he was doing so out of the understanding that that the literal neighbor was already an understood and followed part of the command. I mean, Jesus came from a very communal setting and communal culture, but most cultures throughout the world today are community-based. But our current cultural context in America does not still hold this same value. So so we need to work through and walk through an unlearning of the seclusion and isolation we have become comfortable with. And if you think about it, it's kind of comical that we have to teach this. I mean, this is so basic to humanity, but it is also so necessary. So I think we need some course correction here. You know, in the, in the church today, we have taken Jesus' words and his all-encompassing definition of neighbor to include every person we interact with. And rightfully so. I don't want to minimize that. But in this broadened view, I wonder if it, if, if it has become an excuse to avoid following the great commandment and all of its implications. Neighbor has become such a broad term, which is a good thing. Unless we start to look for the loophole. When it becomes the, the people across town or the, those that are helped by the organizations I support or, or the people, the, the government helps with my tax dollars or the people in, in the other country way over there. Those people. You know, when we take the opposite approach of this lawyer and say, my neighbor is everyone. We oftentimes end up finding a loophole of our own, and everyone can end up being no one. We miss the same commissioning toward our people on our street in our neighborhood. Aim for everything, hit nothing. You know, After this question from the lawyer, Jesus answers with the story that many of us are familiar with. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, A man who was going down from Jerusalem, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And then two religious leaders passed by, and, and they didn't help the guy. I mean, these are people who prided themselves on, on keeping the law and doing the right thing, but they just kept on going. But a Samaritan, love how Jesus starts. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, and this would have been, this would have been so shocking in Jesus' story, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. A Samaritan stopped and helped the man. Now, if you grew up in church, then then you've heard that Jews don't like Samaritans, but but it's way bigger than that. Um, The best way to describe the relationship between the Jews and Samaritans in the first century is institutionalized racism. And it wasn't just one way, hatred, anger, and animosity that defined the relationship between these groups of people. Samaritans felt the same about the Jews as the Jews felt about the Samaritans. But even still, in Jesus' story, the Samaritan is the one that bandaged the man's wounds, loaded him on his donkey, took him to an inn, and paid his bills. He went out of his way to meet a need and pay the cost. Jesus' main point in this story was that the Samaritan was the one who acted like a neighbor. He told the lawyer to go and do likewise, and then they went their separate ways. The example of, of the Samaritan that Jesus gave is how the art of neighboring starts in our hearts. The first thing we see is compassion. He saw the man and he, he took pity on him. Second thing we see is Flexibility. He changed his schedule. He inconvenienced and disadvantaged himself to help the man in need. You know, anytime I lead a mission trip to another country, uh, I tell the team that I have two rules. The first rule is no complaining, uh, which we aren't going to unpack that rule today, but it's probably a good rule of life and we should all live by it. No complaining. might want to share that one with your kids. Um, And the other one is the five F's. And here, here are the five F's in order. Flexibility, 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 fun. And the reason the five F's are a rule is because anything that is missional cannot be controlled by my preferences, my wants, my desires, or my preferred outcome. Let me say that again. Anything that is missional cannot be controlled by my wants, my desires, or my preferred outcome. When we do, When we do try to control those things, it ends up not being very much fun. So on those trips, when we go overseas, when we go to different countries, we have to be flexible and surrendered to what God provides and how the Holy Spirit is leading in each and every single moment. It's a great approach on a mission trip when we go somewhere else. But the thing I've come to recognize is that if I and we are going to be missional where God has placed us, even in our own neighborhoods, not just when we go on a church trip somewhere else, but to be on mission every single day of our life, then we have to be flexible. We can't approach our neighborhoods with with all of our excuses. I I mean, the Samaritan in, in Jesus' story could have used all the excuses. Hey, Samaritan, love your neighbor. Okay, but, but do you know what his people did? But, but do you know how they have treated me in the past? Do you know the structures of oppression they have in place? But there were no buts in Jesus' story. And what are our excuses? Yeah, yeah, I love my neighbor, but, but, but I'm tired after I get home from work. I, I'm not a very outgoing person. Their house is like five doors away. But I support all these other causes. I've done my part. But they don't even really seem to want to connect with me. See, when we include the neighbors we live next to within Jesus' definition of neighbor, it removes those excuses. So so often when we read the story of the Good Samaritan and process the implications of Jesus' definition of neighbor, we jump right to the person on the side of the road and don't consider the people we live in close proximity to. To. We we tend to exclusively turn the great commandment into the great metaphor, which it totally is, and it's so important to understanding the gospel. But what if we not only took it metaphorically? What if we also took it literally to apply Jesus's teaching to our literal neighbors, real people with real names and real stories? And this is what we're talking about throughout this series. And, and, and this conversation, the things that we're discussing and teaching, is the manifestation of our God given vision as a church. Check this out. Over the years, Cornerstone Fellowship has talked at great length about God's plan to repair the fabric of the East Bay through our church. It started with a Bible study in Pastor Steve's living room in 1991. From there, the church began to meet at the Shriner Center on the south side of the 580 in Livermore. As the church began to grow, a new space to gather was a necessity. Through God's provision, we moved into what is now known as the Cornerstone Livermore Campus. But the East Bay consists of more than Livermore. So a campus in Brentwood launched. And that's when we began to see more clearly how the vision God gave Cornerstone was going to take shape. It was evident that God wanted us to be on mission in the communities throughout the East Bay. Our multi-site strategy took off from there. A campus in Walnut Creek sprung up, then a campus in Hayward and another in Danville. The goal was to put a cornerstone location within 10 minutes of every East Bay neighborhood. And that's when even more clarity came, as we processed the purpose of our physical locations. What if those places could serve as hubs throughout the East Bay, sending people on mission into their neighborhoods to truly live out Jesus' greatest commandment? As our online platform grew and we heard from people watching our weekend service in their homes, we wondered, what if buildings aren't the only answer? Yeah, gathering in buildings for weekend services have an impact, but that impact can be limited. What if people open their doors and their lives to really love those they live next to? What if we saw our weekend gatherings as one life-giving moment, intrinsically connected to the string of life-giving moments happening throughout the week? What if the life change we want for so many really happens for so many? Not only would we have a cornerstone location within every 10 minutes of every neighborhood, we'd have a cornerstone location in every neighborhood. If we can all grow to become great neighbors and those around us can see a noticeable difference in those of us that follow Jesus, God will repair the fabric of the East Bay. If we can all grow to become great neighbors and those around us can see a noticeable difference in those of us that follow Jesus, God will repair the fabric of the East Bay. If we do this, Hope, joy, and peace will be infused into our communities. When we see pain and hurt and heartbreak, those around us won't be asking for a program or a solution. Jesus already came up with one. And it's not a building. It's not a system. It's the church, you and me living out his great commandment right where God has us. You know, Cornerstoneers living this out in our neighborhoods is a vision that gets me so fired up. I can just imagine the life change that can and will happen in and around us. And the beautiful thing is that we know God will do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power at work within us. You know, as COVID-19 hit, this this whole vision was greatly accelerated. And maybe you've heard us talk about about watch parties and and gathering with those closest to you in, in a safe bubble which is a word that I never thought I'd say in a sermon before, um, before this. But this is a conversation we've been having for over a year. And now that's what we're all doing. We all attend church via a watch party. For some of us, we hold a watch party of one. Others attend the weekend service online with our families. Others of us have begun to include our neighbors and our friends that are part of our, our social bubble. There's that word again. And I'm so glad that's happening. If you're gathering in those smaller groups, I I hope you're all being safe and careful as you do that, but it's so cool that you're you're still gathering. But I also want you to know that this type of church that we're doing right now is not going away. Yes, one day when we aren't all affected by this pandemic, we'll, we'll gather together in our buildings again, but that's not the only way we're going to experience church. You know, in a lot of my conversations with people, the consistent theme around church is, "I just want it to go back to the way it was," which I'm totally with you. A couple of weeks ago at the at the Livermore campus, we did the kids camp packet pickup, um, which, by the way, Jericho thoroughly enjoyed doing virtual kids camp this year and told me everything that doodad dude was doing. Like, like seriously, it was it was nonstop. He would not stop talking about it. I got a lot of work done those days. Um, for real though, thanks to our awesome kids team for putting that, that all together. But, but when we did that kids camp packet pickup, I loved every single minute of seeing people drive through and pick up their packets that day. And you know, when I got home, Amanda asked me, she said, hey, how was that? And, and, and I told her, it was great, but it made me miss church services so much more. I miss seeing you. I miss interacting with you. But if I can just be completely honest, I don't want church to go back to the way it was. I don't. I mean, it's awesome that 6,000 people attend each week at Cornerstone, and and probably about 10,000 people would tell you that Cornerstone is their home church. But let's think about this. 10,000 people in the East Bay that has a population somewhere north of 2.5 million people doesn't feel like we are reaching the East Bay or repairing the fabric of the East Bay. I mean, you've probably heard us say before that, that something like 95% of the East Bay is unchurched. Something needs to change. To change. Something needs to, to shift. I mean, so many people need the hope of Jesus. And we are the conduit of that hope. We, we can't just go back to church the way it was. We have to continue to ask as a church, what does love require and shift or change or react or respond as a result of that question and how the Holy Spirit prompts us? Because all of us living out the great commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves with our literal, literal neighbors, I believe that this is the first step. Which, which to be clear, guys, that there's no ulterior motive at play here as we have this conversation, as we, as we go through this teaching series. Our goal is not to make Cornerstone bigger or get more folks in the doors of our church when we open church back up. Our goal is to equip you to live out the great commandment right where you are, to love people. It, it, it isn't even about telling people about Jesus right off the bat. I mean, maybe you've already tried that with your neighbors and, and they were like, I don't, I'm not interested. The goal right now is to simply equip you to be a good neighbor. Because if you and I do that well, if we build relationships and let people in to see our brokenness and our redemption, they will eventually have incredible insight into the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ and what that produces in us. So how do we begin? Well, to close uh, our time today, I have a little exercise for you. And and for me, just just so you know, um, when I did this, it it stung a bit. Um, The beauty of sharing with all of you how how bad of a neighbor I am like I did earlier means that I have some extra accountability to actually do what I'm talking about. Um, This exercise that we're about to walk through might be convicting, and if it is, that's probably healthy. But the point of this is not to make you feel shame. The point is to move the great commandment from theory into real life. So, on a sheet of paper, draw something that represents your neighborhood. Or you can use the PDF that our team has made for you. Um, I know that this probably doesn't look like your neighborhood. Uh, if it did, I don't know how you'd get in and out of your house. like your garage, I don't know where your garage would be. But, um, But here's an example. So try to picture the locations closest to you. In the middle box is your home. And the other eight boxes are the houses or apartments closest to you. And the other boxes fill in the three sub points of each box. And so you'll see there's a section A, B, and C. In section A, I want you to write down the names of the people who live in the house represented by that box. In section B, write down some relevant information about each person. She's a massage therapist. Maybe he works at a car dealership. They let their tree drop crap in my backyard. I'm just kidding. Don't write something like that. Uh, Write stuff that you would actually know from Talking to them. And then in section C, this one's the the one I want you to spend some time with. Write down some in-depth information about those neighbors. What would they say about God? What do they most fear? What are their current struggles? What is currently producing joy in their life? And as you fill this out, you might come to realize that you don't know a ton about your neighbors, Um, if that's the case, don't feel too guilty, about 10% of people can fill out Section A for all the households around them. 3% of people can fill out Section B, and less than 1% of people can fill out Section C for every household around them. So as you look at this sheet, um, after you fill it out, I want to ask you to do something that might be a little difficult. Don't jump to the how yet. Don't go to that place where you start asking, okay, what am I supposed to do? Or how, are we gonna, how am I gonna change this in light of the pandemic and the restrictions that are currently on me? What, what's the expectation from my church after I fill this out? Don't go there yet. We've got some thoughts and some ideas and we'll unpack that as we continue through this series in the coming weeks. So stick with us. But let's think about what this means. Jesus very clearly said to love our, our neighbors and yes, that means our metaphoric neighbors, anyone we come, come across. Don't ever miss that. But it also means our literal neighbors. If we are going to be missional in our neighborhoods, then it means loving these people. And I think to begin loving people, it helps to actually know their names and a couple things about them. For God's vision, for Cornerstone to come to fruition, we have to start somewhere. So for now, start by doing this exercise. I believe that as we go through this series and unpack some more steps, we can can take together that we will be headed in a direction where Paul's words to the church in Corinth will be true of us, right where God has placed each and every one of us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Let's pray. Father God, this is a church that is surrendered to your will and your desires and your commission and your mission, God. And we know that the greatest commandment that, that you gave is to love our neighbors. So Father, I ask that we continue to keep the perspective that this includes everyone, Lord, but I also ask that we start to understand this commandment to include those that are right next to us, Father. Father that the people that we are, are, are next to day in and day out and night in and night out would know the hope that we have in you just because they interact with us, just because we have relationship with them, just because we make an attempt to love them as you love us. God, lead your church, move us in your direction, give us wisdom, discernment, guidance, and clarity. And give us courage, Father to move forward the way that you desire for us to move forward as a church so that we, that we partnered with you because you allow us to participate in this can repair the fabric of the East Bay. We know that that's your desire for our community, God. So let us be the conduits of that hope, the conduits of that peace, the conduits of that joy, the conduits of that love. We adore you, Father. We love you and pray all this in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you guys. Thanks for joining. Stick with us. We're going to worship together and spend some time praising God.
0: What a beautiful song which expresses such beautiful sentiments to God. Now, as we continue, do yourself a favor and take what you've experienced today into the rest of your week. You see here at Cornerstone, our mission is to help each person take their next steps with Jesus. And so naturally, here are some great next steps for you. Check out some of our great online resources where you can continue this conversation. The study guide for this series actually includes some wonderful videos from our campus pastors, along with some great questions that you can discuss with your community groups or with your group of friends. And it will take today's sermon to the next level. Now, if you're actually looking to get involved in some of these community groups, you can find that information on our website at cornerstoneweb.org community. And lastly, don't forget to download this worksheet, which Pastor Steve actually mentions in his sermon as a part of his challenge for us this week. Let's figure out who lives in our neighborhoods. What a difference you and I could make if we could continue to ask ourselves the question, what does love require? And as we go throughout this week, I will continue to pray for you and pray with you. And I'll leave you with some amazing worship songs that we've recorded prior to this week. I hope you enjoy. Have a wonderful week.